Father, watch over us now and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I thought as I wrapped up last week's message and shared a few of the evidences of a rapture in an effort to bring a little hope at the end of a bleak two weeks of preaching on the Roman invasion of uh, the Ukraine and its future aspects uh, when they attempt to invade the Promised Land. Uh, and as I listed off those to you, I thought that uh, it would be worthwhile to remind you that it has in fact happened before, this thing that we call the rapture. And for those of you that aren't familiar with it, Christians, not all Christians, but Christians believe, at least those that uh, interpret prophecy literally, that there will come a day when we will actually hear a trumpet blast and look up, we will see Jesus in the sky, and he's going to take us out of here without having to die. And we call that the rapture, even though the word rapture doesn't appear in the Bible anywhere. Uh, there are a couple of words that translate catching away, uh, but if you wonder where the word rapture comes from, it, it comes from when they translated the originals into the Latin, and the word rapper appears where you see the word caught away in Second Thessalonians. So if you're wondering where that comes from, that's where we get the word rapture. Uh, it's not rapture in the sense of being exceedingly happy. It's rapture in the sense of uh, being snatched away, taken away, lifted up, taken out. And uh, not everyone agrees with pre-trib. Not everyone agrees with a rapture at all. And honestly, uh, let me say at the outset, it doesn't matter. If you have surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked Him to forgive you, and you've asked Him to come into your life and save you, you are saved whether you believe in pre, post, or mid-trib rapture, or even if you reject the rapture. Like The amillennial view is that there is no millennia, a millennia. There's no millennium. There's no thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't believe in a rapture either. So uh, that's okay. Uh, I think that when Jesus sets up this thousand-year kingdom, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, I think they will surrender to him. I don't think they'll have a problem with that. Uh, and, and, you know, I really believe that when, when I get up there, uh, there's going to be some things there that I'm wrong about. Uh, in fact, I'm going to be kind of neat to see if there's anything we're right about. You know, I mean, there's a lot we don't understand about the Bible. But the fact is, it has happened before. And I, I mentioned these last week. Enoch was the first man ever raptured out. He lived 65 years and he begat a man by the name of when he dies, it shall come. What an what a odd name for your son. He was a prophet. He, profi he prophesied of the second coming of Christ. You can read about him in the next to the last book of the Bible. So what happened there is uh, he had a son when he was 65 years old, named him when he dies, it shall come, speaking of the flood, and walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. So he lived 365 years and begat sons and daughters. It would be interesting to know how many sons and daughters you can beget in 365 years. It's just, I'd like to know. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That word, loka, God took him, means he carried him away. It means he changed sides. Now, when you get to Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews, whom I always say is Paul, but we really don't know who wrote it, uh, by faith, Enoch was translated. The word translated in the Greek 
is metatiphany. Metatiphany means he transferred. He went from one side to the other. He changed sides. By faith, Enoch changed sides in order that he should not see death. Now there's the definition of the rapture. You get out of here without dying. And was not found because God had translated. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now you're going to see this same phrase about Noah. Noah now was not raptured out. Now there are scholars that believe that Enoch is a picture of the church. <laughs> Obviously he's the one who gets raptured out. We want him to be the prefigure us. And Noah is a picture of Israel. So the church gets raptured out before the tribulation period. Israel is preserved through the tribulation period. Noah is preserved through the flood. Enoch is taken out before the flood comes. 300 years or 369 years, I think, before the flood comes. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou in all thy house into the ark. For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth, and forty days and forty nights, and every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. Why did he choose Noah? Do you see the phrase there? For thee I have seen righteous. Now there's a lot of discussion about that and you can find a lot written about the subject and I just want to, I don't want to minimize it, but the question is, are you and I righteous enough to be taken like Noah was? Would God look at us and see us as righteous as he looked at Noah and saw him as righteous? And the answer is, I hope, yes. Personally, of course, no. None of us are righteous enough to merit, to, to, to be worthy of being raptured out. Our righteousness, as we understand it, comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an imputed righteousness. He took my sin, I took His righteousness. He was made sin for me who knew no sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So when God comes back to pull out the righteous, He's going to pull out the righteous in Christ. So Noah was not really raptured out. He actually had to go through the flood. He had to not only survive the flood, but he had to eventually physically die uh, and they went in they that went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded them and the Lord shut them in I don't know why I included that slide except to say that this was God's doing and not Noah's this wasn't some great escape plan that Noah had he was just following orders now the question is has a precedent been established has God set up a situation to where we can count on this every time the answer is no if you were in the Ukraine now you would think you were in the tribulation. You are in tribulation. You may not be in the tribulation, but you're in tribulation. And for centuries, for millennia, Christians have gone through difficult times. There is no guarantee that we'll be alive when the tribulation, when the rapture actually comes, when the tribulation starts. But there are a few, there are a certain group that will survive until the tribulation period. And we believe that group of believers will be taken out. Will it get bad? Well, from the looks of the news, the answer is yes, it's going to get bad. Uh, but the, the pattern has been set now that God removes the righteous and then He judges. So judgment comes after He moves the righteous. Lot is another example. He's a good example because he's as worldly as the rest of us are. And the angels that came to Lot literally had to drag him out of the town. Haste, they said. Uh, escape thither for I cannot this is the angel speaking not God I cannot do anything till thou become thither therefore the name of the city was called Zoar so they, they, they actually took him to another town I don't want to get on that but I want you to see the pattern that before God destroyed Sodom he got his people 
out. Before he rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom, he got his people out. Is there a pattern there? A lot of uh, Bible theologians think so. Uh, Elijah is another example. <clears throat> Not really that he was raptured to avoid judgment, but more that he, he got out alive. See, Lot didn't get out alive either. He got out of Sodom and he avoided judgment. But still, at some point in his life, Lot died. And as a believer, he went to be, he went, actually, he went into a holding area called paradise until such time as Jesus was resurrected. And then Lot is now, his, his, his soul is with God in heaven right now. Uh, at least the Bible refers to him as that righteous man. You kind of wonder how that clown could even be saved. But I'm sure people feel that way about me too. So how could that guy be saved? Elijah was another one. He had just worked himself to exhaustion. And it came to pass he was ready to resign. And they still went on and talked. This is Elijah and Elisha talking. And behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind unto heaven. It would seem then that Enoch and Elijah both went to heaven alive without having to physically die. That's twice that this has happened. So we know it's possible. It actually happened another time that we know it's possible. Of course, Jesus. Jesus in Acts chapter 1 said when He had spoken these things, when they beheld, He was taken up. <clears throat> Different word, but it's the same idea as caught up. He was taken up and a cloud received Him out of their sight. So now we got three. We have Enoch, we have Elijah, and we have Jesus. So people will say to you, you're nuts. God's not going to rapture anybody out. And you can say, well, He's already done it. He's done it three times that we know of. We don't know of other times. You know. So when you're tempted to think, this can't happen, you know, remember that it's happened before. Remember that Enoch and, and Elijah and Jesus were all taken out physically alive to heaven. Now, there's a lot of talk, and I didn't want to get into this. I better not. I better just go on. Okay, now the promise of the rapture in the Scriptures uh, the New Testament promises that we have. Paul writes, <clears throat> I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter. It's a great chapter. You should get to know it. If you don't already. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Skipping the first 50 verses, all important. Uh, I will show you, behold, that means with surprise, I will show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's, that's New Testament code word for die. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You know, Linda's concerned. I keep saying that what's going to happen to Ollie when we're gone? Who's going to take care of Ollie? You know, uh, my dog. You know, and of course, the answer is, don't worry, somebody will eat him soon enough. But I mean, I think, oh, and she goes, well, make sure in the rapture you don't look back. Make sure you don't look back. And I used to say, you know, I wonder if the, the, the lines are okay on my boat. She said, don't look back in the rapture. Don't look back. I don't think it's a problem. Now, it did happen to Lot's wife that when she was walking away from her world in Sodom, she did look back and it said that she was turned into a pillar of salt. But if I understand what a twinkling of an eye means, I won't have time to look back. My understanding of a twinkling of an eye is I'll hear the trumpet, look up, and I'm there. I won't have time to think, well, well, what about, what about, you know, I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I really don't. Uh, uh, and to the Thessalonians, Paul again writes, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And this pattern repeats itself over and over and over. A shout, voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now there was an issue at Thessalonica that they were worried about people were dying. 
And they were so excited about the rapture, they were upset that their mother-in-law and their father-in-law and their mother and their uncles and their children have died, and they're missing out on the rapture, and they're missing out on heaven. And that's why Paul wrote this passage. It was really to comfort them. Uh, but what he's saying is that the, the dead in Christ will rise first. So your our loved ones that are in heaven are in spirit form and have been given a spiritual body to keep them until such time as the general resurrection. This is what he's talking about here. And when Jesus returns, there's a couple of things that will happen here. Yeah, it's in this phrase here too. You can see it in verse 17. Jesus will come back in the air and he'll call for what we call the resurrection of the just. This, this is the resurrection where all the saved of all times physically will be resurrected to rejoin their bodies and they will precede us. They will not be left out. That's the, that's the thing that Paul wanted to comfort the Thessalonians with. They will not be left out. Now, my comfort is in the fact that I'm going to meet the Lord in the air. You know, whether I'm dead or alive at the time, I'm going to meet the Lord in the air. And the significant point in that is a whole other theological issue is when's he coming back? And, and for the post-millennialist, millennialist, stuck on that word, for the post-mill guy, uh, he thinks that the, re the rapture will happen at the end of the tribulation. But the second coming is at the end, end of the tribulation. Why would Jesus meet us in the air and then we just land with Him? Well, maybe it put on quite a show to have the armies of heaven land, but I just see us meeting the Lord in the air before the tribulation, and I see after at the end of the tribulation, Jesus returning to earth. Now, it's important in verse 17, you'll see, we're meeting the Lord in the air. Then we which are alive and remain. Those that are still alive at this point in history... When God is ready to wrap it up, those that are still alive will be caught up alive. Uh, will be caught up. The word is harpazo. It means caught away. It's the same general definition as that Hebrew word. We'll be caught away together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. A lot of verses here, I know. The point is we're going to be changed and we're going to be caught away. Why do we have to be changed? Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. If you think you're uncomfortable now, I can't imagine in this fallen bag of bones that we're walking around in, finding ourselves physically in heaven. It would be terrible. The fact is, our bodies are lost. They're cursed with sin. They're troubled. It's always getting us in trouble. God is going to have to give us an immortal body. I'm not even sure a physical body could survive in whatever environment heaven is. Now, I picture it as just a simply a world that vibrates at a different speed in ours, and that's why we can't see it. But I don't know that. I don't know if a human being can even survive physically in heaven. But what we do know is that corruption cannot... Corruption cannot in, inherit incorruption. My corrupt body cannot survive in heaven. It won't, it won't make it. So God is going to remove us, but before He brings us into His presence, He's going to fix us. We'll get bodies that are right, and they're not, they're not governed by sin. I clicked it, and nothing happened. <coughs> when is the rapture? That's a $10,000 question, isn't it? You know, and of course the answer is 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus said it Himself. Jesus they said, when will these things be? He said, I don't know. Yeah. That's a pretty good response from the Son of God, isn't it? But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, and the day of the Lord is a tribulation period. The day of the Lord is that period when He's coming to judge the world. You, you know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. So you know, if a thief was coming, you'd be prepared. So the idea is by surprise. But there is a clue in this, in verse 3. 
For when they, who are they? The world, I assume. I don't know. I'm just assuming. You know, yeah, like I say, we, we don't have any of this nailed down. For when they, when the world is saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Well, if the rapture is after the tribulation, there certainly be no surprise there, right? So there's got there's an issue there's an issue here of a surprise, all right. But there is a clue here that when the world is saying peace, 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 safety, safety, safety. So I believe that the current events of our day are ramping up the world into a such a state of anxiety that they will accept a world leader that is going to promise them peace and safety on a worldwide scale. And when that guy comes up, as I said last week, I think the world will accept it. Except for one nasty little group of people, and that's us. And I'll tell you, if we're not raptured out, he'll see to it that we're taken care of. Because we will be in his way. We'll be pointing out everything that's wrong about this fellow. It's interesting that this clicker doesn't click. And it's in the right spot. Let me go down there and see what that does. All right, it's happier down there. When is it? Well, we know when everyone's calling for peace and safety. We also know, uh, 1 Corinthians 52, back in the chapter 15, it'll, it'll be in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, whatever that means. We don't know what that means. We speculate about what it means. For the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, and the incorruptible, uh, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The dead will be raised incorruptible. So all those bodies there will be given all brand new bodies, and will be changed into the same kind of new bodies that they have. But what is this last trump? Now, there are those that believe the last trump is a reference to the, the, the feasts of Israel. And it is curious to note that whenever God did something significant, like crucify his son or raise his son from the dead or send the Holy Spirit, that always happened on a Jewish festival. Now, maybe God just likes a crowd, but I don't think so. I think those festivals were designed all the way back in the beginning by God for this specific purpose. Now, there is a time of year that's called Jewish New Year's, Rosh Hashanah. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. The word Rosh Hashanah means head of the year or New Year's, right? But it's also called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I was taught, and I haven't settled in my mind yet how this works, that they take for seven days and they blow one trumpet, and on the seventh day they blow seventh trumpet, and the seventh blowing of the seventh trumpet is called the last trump. That's according to Chuck Missler. I haven't been able to prove that. But I can tell you this much, that in 2022, if the Jews are on the right timetable, which we don't know, but the Jews will celebrate Rosh Hashanah from September the 25th to September the 27th, of 2022. So that's an exciting thought. So every time you get around that time of year, I'm going to see if I can scroll down in my notes a little bit here. Uh, every time you get around to fall, we start thinking, well, you know, if he raptures us now, we won't have to pay our property taxes. So uh, we don't know. We really don't know. But if, if the last Trump. So we have two clues so far about when. One is when everybody's calling and believing for peace and safety. Remember I said a couple of weeks ago, Israel will be, will be in their homeland thinking that they dwell safely. 
to thinking they're at peace when the largest army that has ever assembled will march on them. And uh, so this is, this is that time. And then the other time, it'll be at the last trump. New Testament promises. Uh, Jesus, uh, this is one of my favorites. So I, this is a great funeral passage, but you know, it's interesting. It was just before Jesus' funeral, but it was just after the Olivet Discourse, just after he taught them about the end times. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You trust God, trust me, right? In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, this is the phrase that you use in funerals all the time. But why limit it to a funeral? He says, if I go away, and I am, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise. Don't be troubled. You see what's going on in the world? Don't be troubled. I've got a plan. I've got a place for you. And I'm coming to get you. That's an interesting point. Paul also says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. This is the problem of people dying in the church that I spoke of. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, that is raptured or rapair in the Latin, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm just going through a series of promises, all right? For God, this is in, in Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, or to obtain but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together into him. Now, the tribulation period is the outpouring of God's wrath on the earth. It's the overwhelming outpouring of God's wrath on the earth. And, and Paul says we're not appointed unto wrath, so there's a promise there. Uh, also, John's experience on Patmos indicates that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture if you take it literally. Uh, if you don't take it literally, well, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. But you know, Revelation chapter 1, John had a vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. A remarkable vision of how Jesus is today. And then in Revelation chapters 2 and chapter 3, he goes through seven churches, which we believe are not only active, real churches in John's day, but also symbolic of the churches of all the ages and actually representative of the different historical uh, periods of the church. And you can see that if you if you follow somebody, just get a good a good dispensational uh, commentary and read about it. You see the parallel. Someday I'll do it again. I've done it in the past. We'll go through the seven churches and compare them not only to the events of the, uh, the original churches, but to their implication to church history. But after this, metatauta in the Greek. After this, after what? after chapter 2 and 3, which is the church age. After this, after the church age, now, I'm saying that, John's not. I looked, I saw, I think it's represented 14 times in chapter 1. Uh, I, I, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. He looked up, and there was a door. All right? And the first voice I heard is words of a trumpet. You hear that? The voice, the trumpet, just the same pattern that you hear in Paul over and over again, the voice and the trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show you things which be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit. He didn't have time to worry about his dog. Somebody else had to take care of his dog on Patmos. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. 
Same pattern. To the church of Philadelphia, the promise was made, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. Now, that's... The seven churches, only one of them gets this promise. So I, you know, we all want to be part of the Church of Philadelphia. You should move your membership now. Things are getting tough outside. You know, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from. In the Greek, it's I will keep the ek out of. I will keep thee out of the hour of temptation. Testing. We would call that tribulation. I will keep you out of the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. So we know we're talking about the Great Tribulation here, right? To try them that dwell upon the earth. It's a pretty interesting promise there. At least one out of seven churches is going to get raptured out. Uh, I, I hope we're in that, that group. I really do. Six promises. Six promises. Jesus will come for us. We have, not, we have hope and not fear. We should find comfort in this promise. We're not appointed to wrath. John's experience after the church age indicates a pre-tribulation rapture and the church of Philadelphia has promised that they would be kept out. Six promises in the New Testament. All right. Linda's convinced we're going to see the rapture at any moment. I'm a pessimist. I expect the rapture 22 minutes after I draw my last breath. <laughs> what should we do? What can we do? That's the question. You know, I, I understand that uh, this whole section on Russia was taken from, um, influenced by, not the entire thing, but it was taken from uh, Dr. Jeremiah's book. Uh, what's the name of the book? Sign, the Signs. Signs. Is that just it? Signs? There's more to it. Oh, good. Good. I mean, signs of something. Yeah. Yeah, but he's got another book, What Should We Do? And I haven't read that one yet, but I might have to get a copy of it. So I really stole the title from him, even though I haven't read his book. What should we do? And, you know, what does the Scripture tell us we should do? Uh, we're, we're in an interesting time in world history. Uh, we, we could see the absolute collapse of the American dollar in the next couple of years. We could see, and you know, I, I don't even know what that means. You know, I, I'm a doomsdayer. I'm a, I'm a you know, don't invest in stocks, buy ammunition kind of guy. But uh, at the same time, what happens when my retirement payments don't come out? What happens when we stop paying Social Security or welfare? What happens when, you know, a gallon of gas costs 20 $30. What happens? I, I don't know. I, 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 we, we live in perilous times. In the last days there shall be perilous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boastful, proud. Paul said it. He warned us. So where, where do we go from here? And, and I don't have all the answers here, but I pulled a few of these as I was preparing this message. At the end of this passage that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. Now, Peter's talking about the end of the end here. I mean, the world, you know, people are, and I don't want to be negative to ecology. I think this is the planet God gave us and we need to take care of it. Don't, don't misunderstand. But, 
if I read prophecy correctly, we're not going to be successful at saving this planet. Uh, this 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 earth is going to be burned up completely, and it's going to have to be recreated. You know, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. Why am I putting all this energy into a house that's just going to be dissolved? Why am I putting all this energy into a job that I'm just going to grow old and retire from? Why? What should we be doing looking at what we're looking at now? What manner of persons ought ye be in all holy conversation and godliness? Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. I like that phrase. Count on the fact that his patience on that cross saved our souls. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also be led away with the error of the wicked, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is the same series of verses just wrapped up in statements steadfast that's our first commandment hold fast to your faith in jesus christ you know i tell you i talk to people now and they can't they can't can't even understand what's going on in their own families it's like we have lost our minds and jesus asked as i said at the beginning when i come is anyone going to believe it's a challenge to believe in these days I saw them interview this uh, this uh, new Supreme Court nominee, and she's a woman. And they said, can you tell me what a woman is? And she says, no, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm not a biologist. Really? <laughs> like, it, you talk about, you know, you talk about, and that, that kind of chaos Confusion is filtered into every one of our families. It's being promoted in the schools and by the media, by music. That kind of confusion is being promoted worldwide. To where I would have to be careful to say what I just said in public. It's just kind of remarkable. Oh. We have to find a way to get away from this and hold fast to what we believe. You hear? We have to hold fast. We must be unmovable. I, I got the two definitions of that word. Actually, when you look that up in the Greek, the two words really mean the same thing. But uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown use steadfast to mean hold fast, fast to your personal faith. And unmovable is not turned aside by others. That's the slight change in it. The two words mean the same thing. When you define them, they mean the same thing. But one is that you not be drawn aside by your own doubts and fears, and the other is that you not be pushed aside by others. You must be careful. Abounding in the Lord's work. Don't let up. Boy, the, the catch word among Southern Baptists now is lean in, don't lean back. I've heard it so many times I'm embarrassed to say it in public. You know, that's the big thing. Don't don't sit back. COVID's here, you know, everything's going wrong, the world's a mess. Don't sit back. Lean in. Get involved. Find something that you can do to make a difference in what's going on. Fight this thing right until the end. We know we're going to win. 
but it could get ugly. Be diligent to be found without spot. Keep yourself pure. The world wants to tell you that these things don't matter, but they do matter. It does matter to God how you live your life. It matters to God that we be pleasing to Him, that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Keep ourselves blameless. And that means give Satan absolutely no reason to accuse you. Now, I'll tell you about Satan. He'll accuse you whether he has a reason or not. And the best way to deal with him is to agree with him. Yeah, you're right. I'm worthless. So when you hear that in your head, agree with him. Yeah, you're right. I'm worthless. But Jesus forgave my sin. And he's not worthless. But in the meantime, to the best of our ability, keep yourself blameless. Keep yourself pure. Beware of the errors of the world. Now, we're very much aware of what's going on around us. But it's awfully easy that we get trapped into them. And finally, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. I was interested to pick up, uh, I watched the weather at 640 on Channel 3. If you ever know what I'm doing, it's coffee and uh, Gary Sadowski in the morning. But uh, right after that, I, I'll switch over to uh, Dr. Jeremiah. And he was talking about, you know, what's our best defense in this situation that we're in? What's our best defense? And the best defense is to spend time in the Bible and grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The more you know what has happened in the past and the more you know what's coming in the future, the less surprised we're going to be and the more depressed you'll be like me. <laughs> and yet we have hope. And the hope is one day we'll look up, we'll hear a noise, we'll look up, and we'll see Jesus in that doorway. And then we'll be with him. That's an exciting truth. If you know Him. If you've surrendered your life to Him. You've asked Him to forgive you of your sins. You're living your life to the best of your ability to serve Him. You will look up one day and He'll be there. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for this promise, for this hope. We do pray for the people of the Ukraine. And we thank you, Lord, that so many in the world are stepping up to help them. Father, I, I, I heard a complaint that the United States is following and not leading. And, well, that's probably a good thing with our current leadership. But, uh, Lord, I do pray that we will all fit in together and try to help these people. Father, I pray that you give us opportunities that we may be of more support for the Ukraine. And we pray for many of those in our congregation that are sick, all the names we've mentioned. We pray, Father, for safe travel for many that are out and around and running about especially I think about Rod down south that he gets home safely. And I thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.